Well, now as we look at this passage that we read, Romans 12, I want to remind you what we're doing. We are on the final, fifth and final week of this interlude we've taken in the middle of 2 Kings to preach on our church's five commitments and this uh, list of five commitments you can find on the table right outside the door there, along with explanation, short explanation of what each of them means and the foundational scriptures where we find these things taught in the Bible. So let me start by reading this commitment that we have of sharing our lives. As members of God's household, we are called to take care of one another. We spend time in each other's homes, sharing meals, sharing our joys and sorrows, sharing responsibility for each other's needs, confessing sins to one another, and praying for one another. We are particularly committed to caring for the poor, the weak, the sick, the stranger, the persecuted, the fatherless, and the widow in our midst. This commitment to hospitality also extends outside the church to our families, neighbors, and co-workers, whom we hope and pray will also be adopted by God into his household, especially as we proclaim the truth of God's word to them. And so we see just a few scriptures here that explain where we get this. 2 Corinthians 1.7 says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Galatians 6.10 says, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And then 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Well, I could preach a sermon, of course, on each one of those verses, but I decided to have the sermon this morning on this chapter from Romans, Romans 12, which we already read. And I want to start off with a simple summary of what it means to share our lives as we see in this passage in Romans 12. And sharing our lives might seem obvious. It's meant to be obvious. It's meant to evoke clear images of what that would look like. It should be it should be simple, and yet, there's something that is not clear about how exactly this should work. And so what I want us to see here in Romans 12 is that sharing our lives means changing our entire way of thinking. It means changing our entire way of thinking. Context of Romans 12 the Apostle Paul is speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles and specifically how the Jews have turned away 
from God. And he recognizes a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he even says that the Gentiles and the Jews, that conflict is real. He says that the Jews to the Christians are enemies from the standpoint of the gospel because the Jews have not accepted the gospel message, the works of Jesus Christ, instead of causing them to worship, had caused them to persecute and then to kill him. And so, anyone who kills your king is your enemy, right? Anyone who kills your king is your enemy. So from the standpoint of the gospel, the Jews were enemies. But the Apostle Paul doesn't want the Gentiles who have become Christians to think highly of themselves because they have come to Christ, but the Jews haven't. And so in chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, the way that the, the Jews have been held out, broken off from the tree, and, and the Gentiles have been grafted in. He, he says, I don't, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. So, so looking at what God had done among the Gentiles and causing them to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, to believe the gospel and to put their hope in the one true God and his one true Messiah could cause you to think, yeah, I get it. I don't know what's wrong with them. How come they don't get it? I was just speaking with somebody yesterday and he was recounting a story of a girl that had been challenged by somebody to read the entire Old Testament. And so uh, at the end of having read the Old Testament, the person who challenged her asked her, so, you know, what did you think? And she goes, why didn't they listen? And if you read the Old Testament, of course, Second Kings, right? That's where we've been. You, 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 can, you can ask that question. Why don't they just listen? And it's a great question, right? And it's totally the wrong way of thinking. Now, it's the right way of thinking. It's the first thing you ought to think. Like, oh, they don't listen. But, the, but having your mind transformed according to the way that the Apostle Paul is warning us, we must do in Romans 12 and in the context of 11 and, and earlier, is that we must not be wise in our own estimation, looking at them and being like, why don't they listen? But Because the real question that needs to be asked at that point is not, why don't they listen? It's, why don't I listen? 
And if we say, well, I do, and they didn't, then we are wise in our own estimation. And he wants us to have our minds transformed so that we have a new way of thinking, a new way of understanding. We are to be grateful as Gentiles that we have been grafted into the fruitful tree while the original Jewish branches have broken off, which means as we enter into chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies to God as a sacrifice. This, he says, is spiritual worship. Now that word spiritual, you might have translated in your Bible, rational. Rational and spiritual seem very different to us, right? And this just gets at one of the places where it's, it can be very hard to translate from one uh, language to another. But the gist of this word is that it is rational, heart, deep, deeply true of you. <laughs> so that's a can't you can't put all that down when you're translating, right? So you got to pick one word and try to go with it. What does that mean? We are to present our bodies as a sacrifice, and this is spiritual worship. Let's go with the word spiritual for now, because I think it'll help drive home the point more quickly. Part of what we see with this passage is that it's talking about our, our bodies and our hearts. It's talking about what's on the outside and what's on the inside. So we present our bodies, our bodies do things in the physical world, but they're motivated by the heart. And so it's flowing out of what we hold deeply in our heart, what's at our core. What is at your core, you can call the, that, that spiritual motivation. This is a spiritual act when we live out our lives in our physical bodies. It's a spiritual act to present our bodies to God as a sacrifice. And so, if we are going to be a holy sacrifice, if our bodies are going to be holy and pure as we present them to the Lord as a sacrifice, and we'll get to thinking a little bit about what it means for that to be a sacrifice later, okay? But if we're going to do that, what he says in verse 2 is that we can't be like this world. This world is not a holy sacrifice. You can't offer this world to God. This world is not pleasing to God. This world is at enmity with God. And so the sacrifice has to be pure and holy. So he says... Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So this 
connects that rational and spiritual, that one word, the, the uh, renewing of your mind, he's talking about a change that's taking place, being transformed, having a renewed mind, a renewed center, a renewed heart, so that your body will be a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. This is the goal. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And how are you going to be transformed? What does the transforming of your mind accomplish? The end of verse 2, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the word prove is like the way that... uh, uh, a um, a material is tested. Have you ever have you ever grabbed onto a rope and proved it? Make sure it's going to hold your weight before you swing. That's what we're talking about here. Proving something, testing something, and so this. Proving what the will of God is means that we're living it out. The whole world is going to see how we live and what we do. And so everybody will be able to see it's strong enough, it holds. That's what, that's what we accomplish by having our mind renewed and therefore our bodies and the actions that we give ourselves to which don't seem at all spiritual per se, become a holy sacrifice to the Lord. Good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? Now, thinking about this, you might be thinking, okay, but what does this have to do with sharing our lives? What does this have to do with sharing? Well, that's where he goes next. Verse 3, he repeats what he had already said in the previous chapter. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Again, that rational, spiritual, heart religion, that change that's happening in us, Sound judgment. The opposite of sound judgment. Now, sound judgment is right thinking. Okay, kids? So, sound judgment means accurate decisions. Thinking truth. Okay? The opposite of understanding truth is thinking highly of yourself. You have to see that in this verse. I want everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. See how thinking is part of this? Thinking highly of yourself. Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't do that, but instead think a different way. Think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. 
So where does he go from there? Thinking highly of yourself. The opposite of thinking highly of yourself is sound judgment. And then he begins to tell us how that will work its way out in our lives. And so most of the rest of this chapter is about this being one body with each of us being a part, the many members of that one body. So we're, we're, we're looking at having our minds and our views of ourselves and how we're to live all transformed and changed into a new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking says, don't think highly of yourself. Remember, you are part of a body. Now, live as part of that body. This is not the only chapter in the New Testament that breaks this down and where the Apostle Paul explains under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that each of us has a particular part to play in the body. And so we are each dignified with particular gifts and with particular callings within the body. But though we are each given a part to play, though we are each called to particular work in that body, none of us is to think so highly of ourselves that we misunderstand the point. The point of the rest of the body is not so that you can be raised up. Right? Now, this is the easiest way for us to live, and this is, in fact, how we need to have our minds transformed. This is the opposite of the start, which is as a sacrifice. We are presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice is something that is given away for the sake of something else. So you are giving up your body, you are giving up your desires, you're giving up your life so that something else, something greater can be accomplished, can be built. What we desire if we are presenting our bodies to the Lord as holy sacrifices is that he would be raised up. That he would be glorified. How can we glorify him with our bodies? Well, if you go back to uh, just after the time of the New Testament and while it was being written, you, you fast forward few years into the future, there was a movement that began to say, hey, we've got an idea of how we can glorify the Lord. We can glorify the Lord by going out into the desert and getting away from everybody else because they're all sinners. And we're going to present our bodies as sacrifices to the Lord by going into caves and living alone. Now I want you to see that this chapter tells you that that's the wrong way to present your body. That, those people needed to have their minds 
transformed into a new way of thinking of what it meant to present their bodies as living sacrifices. They were willing to sacrifice. And so we ought not to just look down on them because the question to you is, are you even willing to sacrifice? All they got wrong was how to sacrifice their body. The answer is not by sitting on a pole in the desert or in a cave in the desert. The answer is not by going off on your own and trying to get away from everybody else, trying to get away from all of the corrupting influences and all the corrupting desires. No. We are called here in this chapter to sacrifice by thinking more highly of others. To sacrifice by understanding that as we build up the whole body, as we give ourselves in service to one another, that that is how Christ is glorified. So that's where, when you get through that introductory uh, few verses, and you get to verse 4, he says, we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Then he begins to describe the different gifts that have been given, and how each person is to use those gifts, use those gifts for the building up of the church. If you look at those gifts, we are one body in Christ, he says in verse 5, and therefore since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, then he says, okay, if prophecy, use your gift of prophecy according to the proportion of your faith. Now, what I want you to ask yourself is, uh, which of these is done alone? Which of these is done alone? Okay, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Okay, can, can you serve without having somebody to serve. Can't do it, can you? Can you prophesy without prophesying to somebody? Can't do it. I already lost my spot. Verse 7. He who teaches in his teaching. Teacher without a class isn't a teacher. Right? He who exhorts in his exhortation. I suppose you could say you could exhort yourself, and you ought to, right? But really, you can see what he's speaking of is in the context of the body. It's obvious you ex if you've been given the gift of exhortation, you don't keep it for yourself. You use it for the building up of the body. You exhort others in the body. He who gives with liberality. Some of you have been given the gift of giving. That's what this says. Don't give stingily then. And you think, how could you possibly have the gift of giving but give stingily? 
That's a weird, weird thing, right? I mean, if you have the gift of giving, then clearly. But this isn't the only place where we see this kind of exhortation that can sound weird, like, wait, do you have the gift or don't you? He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Now, hospitality is mentioned down in verse 13, and it's not in this passage, but uh, even hospitality, those who have the gift of hospitality, need to be exhorted to be hospitable as they're hospitable. (laughs) So you've been given a gift, but it doesn't mean that you can't be a hypocrite in it. And that's what we see when you get to verse 9. All of these that are, all of these gifts, all of these uh, things that we're to be doing for one another, for the whole body, for the building up of the body, he says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. It's very easy for us to sit in judgment on other people regarding the fact that we've been given a gift of giving and we're giving and how come they're not giving? And all of a sudden we're thinking very highly of ourselves because of the gift that we have and actually we're not loving or if we are, we're loving hypocritically, right? And so every one of these gifts, it's possible for us to be using it as it's you know, as it's meant for the body, and yet for our hearts not to have undergone that heart change that he speaks of at the beginning. So our sacrifice is not going to be holy and acceptable to God. It's entirely possible for people to have the gift of giving. Let's just focus on that one, right? To have the gift of giving and to give to the church, to the work of building up the kingdom of God, and yet for the purpose of building up themselves, either in their own minds or often in the minds of others. This is what Ananias and Sapphira did, right? They determined that they were going to give a lot of money, having sold a property, to the church. But the whole point of it was that they were seeking, thinking highly of themselves, to build up themselves. And so they were not giving with liberality, they were not given with giving with a transformed, renewed mind. They were not giving in service to the church. They were giving in service to themselves. And it's the same with every one of these gifts. It's possible for us to give in such a way. Give of our gift, I mean now, right? Whatever your gift is. It's possible for you to use it for the church, but actually for the purpose of building yourself up rather than building up the body. And then, when people expect you to be hospitable, when it doesn't build you up, you're like, oh, come on. Do I always have to be the one who's hospitable? Right? You see how quickly... it. You you realize, oh, my mind has not been transformed fully. 
I need to be exhorted that my hospitality is actually for a purpose other than what I'm inclined to start off thinking. I start off thinking, how am I going to be building up myself through this? And of course, that's not the point. Having had yourself renewed in a transformed mind, you realize, oh, oh, this is about building up Christ's church. And so then, as everybody has a part to play, and everyone has their particular gifts that they've been given, and you ask the question, why? Why does everybody have a different gift? Why does everybody have their own part to play? The answer really is for service of one another. And so in verse 12, 10, rather, we read, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And this is only one of many places in the New Testament, and this isn't the only verse here, where we see explicitly that, that grouping of words, one another. One another is repeated several times in our passage. This verse happens to be one of them. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And so this is one of many places in the New Testament that teaches us specifically how to behave toward one another in the church. And verses 11 through 16 essentially lay out a whole bunch of what it looks like to interact with one another with a transformed mind as a giving of yourself as a sacrifice. You've been given a gift for the purpose of serving God with it. Now, as you use it, you will be pouring yourself out as a sacrifice. What's left of the sacrifice at the end of the sacrifice? Paul describes himself as being poured out as a drink offering, a drink sacrifice. We used to have a cup, large cup, and it would have wine in it. And if I took that cup of wine, and this is what they would do, take a cup, and they would pour it out. And that was a drink offering. Pour it out into the ground. Here, it wouldn't go anywhere. It would splatter and spread around. But could anybody drink it? Can't drink it. It's gone. It's done. It's poured out on the ground. And in the dust, it just... It's gone. And this is us. We're, we're being poured out. The Apostle Paul is poured out as a drink offering, and this is what we're, we're being poured out. And that's a beautiful thing. This is us being a sacrifice. Could you ask for a more glorious thing to be than something poured out to the Lord as a beautiful, holy, acceptable, perfect sacrifice? That's exactly what you want to be unless you think too highly of yourself. If you think too highly of yourself, then of course you don't want to be a sacrifice. 
You're thinking, eh, you know, I think I'm a little bit more valuable than to be poured out on the ground. I would like instead to be put up as a picture on the wall that will stay forever for everybody to see. What are we supposed to do to one another? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Preference to one another. You see, that's the opposite of thinking highly of yourself. Preference to one another means, okay, wait, you know, what I want is the biggest cookie. But I am going to give preference to my brother, my sister, my friend, the rest of the church. What I want is to take a nap. But because I am devoted to my brothers and sisters, I am going to think of how I can... Be devoted to them by giving preference to them instead of preference to myself and what I want. So you can see how you think highly of yourself is just by thinking about what you want. And you always have something that you want. It's easy to want something. All you have to do is live and then there's things you want, right? You see something and you think, I want. I would like that. I want that. I, and I want that and they want that. And so it's a fight. Who's going to get that toy, right? That's just all, that's from the time you're, before you can talk. You want. And so here we are. We're commanded to, to have our lives be a sacrifice and to give preference to one another. We keep going and we can't help but see all of these commands not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now all of a sudden there's this, wait, no, okay, I was with you, the whole like, all these other people who are loving me, I will love them, it will build us all up, it'll be strengthening, it'll be encouraging, it'll be great. But you know what? I think you've probably experienced this question of, okay, but if I always let them have the toy, I will never have a toy. Right? Who's going to look out for number one if it's not me? Oh, you're thinking... Highly of yourself, awfully highly of yourself to think of yourself as number one, first of all, right? But, but second of all, that's, that's what he's getting to here. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So, so now there's this implicit acknowledgement that if you pour yourself out as a sacrifice, everybody else will benefit and you'll be poured out as a sacrifice. And people will take advantage of that. In fact, they'll persecute you. Even people in the church will do this to you. Now, that's not his main point, okay? But I want you to know, if you get two people together, and they both have their own desires and their own wants, and there's conflict, and, and that's what happens when you get two people together. There, there used to be a <clears throat> woman I knew who, uh, she would say, wherever two or three are gathered together, there is love. And I'd say to her, no, Mary, wherever two or three are gathered, there is hate. Wherever two or three are gathered, there is bickering and fighting. You can't gather two or three people together without there being competition for what I want versus what you want. Wherever two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, he will be present, yes. And there will be love, but only because we have been transformed. You see that? Once we have been transformed, everything is different. And so, if you get two kids together and you realize they bicker and fight and they argue over what they want, and, and then you get two adults together and they don't necessarily... Uh, you know, but it's like this, you know, like this give and take. Like, do we both want the same thing? Because how are we going to figure out who's going to get it? Or do, do we both want to do the same thing and we'll be in agreement until we don't want to do the same thing and then it'll be like, well, you know, I'll have to make a new friend or something. Because I like playing soccer and I only want to play soccer. And half the time he wants to play basketball. And basketball sucks. I don't want to do that. I'll just find someone. I'll play by myself. Adults do this too. What am I driving at? We're given these commands this this whole list rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints this is the description of what love without hypocrisy looks like it just goes on and on this this your entire life you've got a whole new world view everything has been changed and it's beautiful So why do we have small groups? It's so that we can do all of this work. That's why. If you don't spend time with the people of God, you cannot be doing any of the one another's. Does that make sense? You literally cannot do it. If there's no time with one another, you cannot do any of the one another's. 
all of the New Testament commands that describe what love looks like, how we are to love one another, how we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. How can you give preference to one another in honor if there's no one else? And so this is, this is part of why we have small groups. Another part of why is so that we can do the shepherding that we spoke of last week, right? The church is a body. And if the body is not spending time together, it's not much of a body. It's a bunch of pieces laying around, not connected, not working together. Okay, now I've got a question for you kids. Why do we have a nursery? Do we have a nursery this morning? I don't know. Yeah, there is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we normally do. I just, things are different today. Why do we have a nursery, kids? Yeah, go ahead, Owen. Why? Because some babies whine. Yeah. There you go. That's right. But why doesn't their mom just take care of them, Owen? Why, why, do, why don't we just have their moms take care of them? Isn't it their responsibility? You don't have to answer, Owen. It's a trick question. Why do we have a nursery? It's so that we can fulfill these commands. Helping one another bear each other's burdens, right? And so... When a mom has a new baby, and she'd like to be able to come to church sometimes, it's awfully nice for other people to help out. Right? You see how just simple this is. It's very physical. It's very bodily. It's very practical. This is offering your body as a living sacrifice. You couldn't ask for a simpler thing to do, right? Than, than help take care of somebody's kid for them for a little while so that they can go to church. And yet it is a sacrifice, isn't it? To serve in the nursery and to miss church yourself? Oh, it's a sacrifice, all right. This is part of us giving preference to one another. Now, if it's that simple, to, to, to look at this and to say, oh yeah, nursery, that makes sense. This is a way to share our lives, isn't it? This is a way to give preference to one another. This is a way to serve one another. This is a way to build up others with my self, my gifts, my life, pouring it out so that they can benefit. And isn't it remarkable how often the way, the service that is necessary is to the most lowly? Taking care of babies. They are about the most lowly. Right? Or the new mom. And 
Isn't it more beautiful the more lowly they are? Because as Jesus warns us, when you serve those who can pay you back, and they pay you back, you've got your reward in full. But when you serve the most lowly and there's nothing they can do besides cry on you and spit up on you and poop on you, then you know what? It kind of militates against thinking highly of yourself, doesn't it? I'm not doing anything important. I'm just taking care of the most lowly. Yeah. Changes our way of thinking, doesn't it? Not haughty in mind. Now, I don't have time to finish this chapter going into the seamless transition that it makes, not just there in verse 14 about those who persecute, but going into those who are our enemies. Okay? Except I want to say, you have to recognize where we came from. That we once were enemies of Christ Jesus and that He took us out of that kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. And so, you can't think of yourself as so much better than the non-Christian. That's precisely what the context that we started with in chapter 11 with the Apostle Paul warning the Gentile Christians not to think of themselves haughtily above the Jews. We must not think of ourselves haughtily above the non-Christians who believe stupid things. Don't they understand the difference between a man and a woman? Well, no, they don't. Well, yes, they do. But they are rebellious of heart. Right? Don't they understand that sexual immorality is disastrous for themselves and for the nation? And don't, don't they understand? Well, yes. And yet they have not been changed. You have been changed. And so, yes, you are different. But you are not by that, able to think highly of yourself, you are only by that able to think highly of Christ who has transformed you. Right? You're only able to, to think, oh, that's what I would be if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And that's why I pour myself out as a sacrifice. Because I even think highly of the value of my enemies. I even pray for my enemies. Because that's what I was once.